0: If you are a regular listener of this podcast, then you know that the TriDoc is well versed in the science of endurance sport. If you are looking for a coach who will bring that kind of insight to coaching, someone who brings more than 20 years of experience in racing and the knowledge that comes with years of coaching and both USAT and Ironman U coaching certifications, then maybe the TriDoc is someone you should consider for your coach to help you take your training in racing to the next level. As a member of the staff at LifeSport Coaching, Jeff Sankoff can get you access to team workouts and camps, as well as discounts on clothing, nutrition products, and even bikes. So if you are thinking about a triathlon coach to help you achieve your performance goals, visit tridoccoaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com to see how the TriDoc can help you get to where you want to be in triathlon. Those websites again, trydoccoaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to the July 15th, 2022 edition of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher, coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. I saw a post on social media the other day in which a pretty well-known triathlon pro posted something to the effect of, no professional triathlete ever brags about getting up at the crack of dawn to get their workout done. The value of sleep cannot be overemphasized, and you will not see pros doing their training unless they are well-rested. I'm not getting the language completely right, but the gist of this post was to chastise people who were proudly shouting out the fact that they were getting it done in the wee hours of the morning. I thought that it was somewhat obtuse of this particular pro to take this viewpoint, let alone express it out loud like that. Sure, when you're a professional triathlete and that is your job and you make your money by performing well at races, then yeah, I would agree. You have little reason to be getting up super early to do your workouts. If that was me, I too would be sleeping as much as possible before having a lovely breakfast and coffee and then heading out to do my five or six or even eight hours of exercise. But guess what? That isn't me nor am I willing to bet that it's most of my listeners. Instead, all of us are struggling to keep innumerable balls in the air as we juggle our day jobs, our family obligations, and train for a sport that we love so much that we are willing to get up at stupid o'clock and get the training done, because it's the only time that we have. We're not volunteering to do it at that hour. We don't really have a choice. We aren't posting that social media post as a way of saying, look how awesome we are for being stupid enough to get up that early. We're posting that to explain to our friends and family members why it is we are so bloody tired in the evening and need to go to sleep at 8. Because we are just as dedicated to the sport as you are. We just have 8 million other things to do as well. I've always been amazed at how the pros in our sport are so incredibly relatable to the age groupers how they seem to just be normal folks who care about what our experience is and are pretty down to earth. But this post by this particular pro was so incredibly tone deaf and so completely out of touch with what the average age grouper has to deal with in committing to a long distance triathlon, I was pretty taken aback. I'm glad that this person is not representative of most, or at least I choose to believe that, because in my experience, this person is not. But I will say that I will no longer count myself among those who cheer for them on race day, probably because I'll be foolishly too busy sacrificing sleep to get my training in at dawn once again. On the show today, I'm going to look at a new and novel way of delivering that way overutilized and far too popular race supplement, salt. Now, I hesitate to talk about this stuff again, but my socials have been really flooded with ads for this new product. And in the end, the discussion is going to be more about the novelty of the product and less about salt itself. Boa is a product that allows you to dispense salt as a mist into your mouth and leverage transmucosal absorption. The makers have a lot of bold claims as to why you should be using this instead of whatever you're using now to get your sodium, but do these claims hold up to scrutiny? I take a look. Later, though I've been a little bit reticent to do this, I have finally acquiesced to a recurrent request from my listeners and the participants of the private TriDoc podcast group on Facebook. For quite a while now, they've been asking that I tell my own story in place of an interview, specifically spending time talking about how I've managed to find success in the sport as an older triathlete. I was initially not so keen to do this as I never really wanted this show to explicitly be about me but after chatting with a few listeners they convinced me and so today with the help of a special guest I'm going to share a bit of my story in the hopes that it will be helpful to some out there listening. Essentially how I went from a newbie to middle of the pack triathlete to winning my age group and that's coming up in a little while. Before all of that I want to take a moment once again to remind you about the opportunities that exist for you if you become a Patreon supporter of this podcast. For about the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can sign up to support this podcast and in so doing, get access to bonus interviews and other segments that come out every other month. Right now, there are interviews with Joe Field, Sky Munch, Laura Siddle, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, and many others, all available on a private feed just for my supporters. And now, while supplies last, sub- subscribers at the $10 a month level also get a pretty cool BOCO Tri- TriDoc podcast running hat. So visit my Patreon site today and become a supporter so that you too can get access to this cool thank you gift. The URL for more information, where you can see the hat and sign up, is patreon.com forward slash tridocpodcast. And as always, thank you so much in advance, just for considering. It seems as though every couple of episodes or so, I find myself coming back once again to the topic of salt. I don't really understand how or when salt became the dominant supplement of interest for triathletes, but I do know that I've spoken about it far in excess of its actual level of importance, and yet, here I am again, about to start yet another medical segment in which I'm going to address this electrolyte, not, I imagine, for the last time. To be fair, what makes this time different is that, in this case, it isn't so much the salt that I'm focusing on, but how the salt is being delivered. You see, I don't know about any of you, but my social media feeds have been positively inundated of late, with advertisements featuring professional triathlete Sam Long going on and on about a new sponsor that apparently is also a new partner with Ironman, so I guess we can all look forward to lots of samples in our goodie bags. This new product is BOA, a canister that lets you spray a salt-containing liquid into your mouth instead of having to swallow salt tablets or lick sticks or powder or whatever. As always, when I start seeing a crazy number of ads show up, I get interested. So I thought I would investigate to see what all the fuss is about, and find out whether or not the BOA was worth, well, whether or not it's worth its salt. So what did I find? Well, over at the BOA website, I'm sure you won't be surprised to learn that I found a lot of hyperbole. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, let's consider what the BOA is exactly. In case you've been hiding under a rock and haven't seen one of the many ads, BOA is essentially a concentrated salt solution that lets you spray about 150 milligrams of salt into your mouth with each dose. You do this by opening wide and pressing the dispense button for like 2 seconds. There's no fixed dose or anything. It seems as though you could potentially empty the whole canister into your mouth all at once if you wanted. But that's how it's supposed to work. 2 second spray, 150 milligrams of sodium. Each canister has 25 doses, and the propellant is oxygen, and that's going to be important in a little while. Okay, now let's get back to the hyperbole on the website. BOA claims that this product is, first of all, convenient, like way more convenient than anything else. Apparently, spraying this stuff in your mouth is much more convenient, say, than swallowing a capsule, biting, or chewing something else. Why this is so is a little bit unclear to me, but that's what they say. BOA also makes a really big deal about the fact that each canister of the stuff has a grand total of 3,750 milligrams of sodium, the equivalent of 25 doses of 150 milligrams. I'm not totally clear on why they're so fixated on this number, but they really come back to it a lot. For example, they helpfully point out that to get 3,750 milligrams of sodium, you would need to drink 24 bottles of sport drink. Elsewhere on the same page, they make the claim that you would actually need to drink 23 such bottles, but maybe it's a rounding error. Whatever the actual number is, the insinuation seems to be that you or me are supposed to be drinking that many bottles of sport drink during an event, in which case I've clearly been underdoing it. I think this simply highlights the point that I've been making pretty much forever now, and I'll make it again now, that you don't need anywhere near this amount of salt. Four grams of salt is an absurd amount, and for this company to be suggesting that you need that much in an event is kind of crazy. But the salt craze is what it is, and I know there are a lot of people out there taking this much, so clearly they know their target audience. Let's get back to the site and why exactly it is this product exists in the first place. Boa spends a lot of space talking about how important salt is, and sure, as I have said before, it's not like you can replace fluid losses with just water. You do need to have electrolytes in there, including salt. But the supplement companies are way overstating how much salt you actually need. Boa suggests that this product, quote, delivers nutrients that aid in the delay of the onset of fatigue and help your body hydrate 10 times faster, end quote. Let's unpack that statement for a moment. Here is the active ingredient list for BOA, as read directly off one of their canisters. Sodium, 150 mg. That's it. Now here is the inactive ingredient list. Water, citric acid, sucralose, cellulose gum, natural flavor, malic acid, acesulfame potassium, glycerin, sodium benzoate, and potassium sorate. Now, I have no idea what they are referring to in the statement when they say that there are ingredients that will delay the onset of fatigue. They don't actually specify anywhere on the site what those ingredients are. But nothing on that list that I just read would remotely come close to fulfilling that promise. So this just seems like an outright, shall we say, mm, embellishment. As to hydrating 10 times faster, let me be clear about this sodium that is included in sports drink does indeed increase the uptake of fluids because of the way sodium transport inc- occurs in your gut. Taking salt on its own, however, does not increase hydration unless you take water with it. To suggest that taking a spray of boa is, sometime, is somehow going to allow you to hydrate faster doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I'd really like to say that this is the end of the silliness on the BOA site, but alas, this is really just the beginning. Because this segment can't go on for hours, I'm going to have to try and pick and choose a little bit about what to tackle in the time that I have left, so I'll try to hit the highlights. I think that the most egregiously silly stuff about this product can be found on the How It Works page. This, you will remember, is the page that I always advise my listeners to pay close attention to whenever evaluating a product in order to assess whether or not the claims have any merit. What we found on that page was pretty revealing. First and foremost, to their credit, the BOA team lists several peer-reviewed published studies that flesh out the proof of concept of how and why the makers of this product brought it to market in the first place. For example, one of the unique things about the BOA is that it delivers salt as a mist to the mucosa of the mouth, allowing sodium to then be absorbed directly into the bloodstream. Now, this is a well-known way of administering all kinds of medications, and on the How It Works page, you can find some published studies that show how this process works, and even how other sprays have been used to deliver medicine. Okay, good start. The BOA should work to deliver salt in the same way. Unfortunately, from that point on, it kind of goes downhill pretty quickly. Scanning over the remainder of the references, we found that only one had anything to do with BOA itself. So remember, All the claims that I told you about from the initial page of the website that they make about how the BOA helps with fatigue and hydration, and I didn't even mention the athlete anecdotes where individuals suggested that the only reason they performed at a high level was because of this product. Well, exactly none of those are backed up by any science whatsoever. There is exactly one paper on the How It Works page for BOA, and it is an unpublished white paper that is essentially an opinion piece touting all the wonders of what the BOA should be able to do because the people who uh, who make the stuff think so, there's only one paper on the How It Works page that has anything to do with the BOA itself. Now, I'm not even joking about this. This paper is unpublished, it's a white paper, and it's just an opinion piece. It is extrapolation and magical thinking taken to the extreme. There are other references on the page that seem to be there purely as filler. For example, a study on the effects of magnesium supplementation on performance and recovery in weightlifters. Well, the BOA contains no magnesium whatsoever, and the paper itself was a negative one, in that that the conclusions of the paper clearly stated there was no benefit to chronic magnesium supplementation, so why it's included on the how-it-works page for BOA is not really clear. Another study referenced looked at the effects of supplemental oxygen on reaction times to visual tasks. Now this one is a doozy, because it gets mentioned in that unpublished white paper that actually is about the BOA. Remember when, remember when I told you that the propellant for the liquid in the BOA is itself oxygen? We'll get ready for this. The makers of the BOA would have you believe that, quote, the hyperoxic air transferred by the BOA has been seen to increase reaction time and cognitive processing, end quote. Okay, this is not only misleading, it's completely rubbish. First of all, the paper that they are referencing in order to come up with this claim looked at non-athletes breathing supplemental oxygen through a non-rebreather mask doing a visual matching task, essentially matching up picture cards on a table. With oxygen levels of around 45%, subjects were able to complete this task slightly faster than subjects who were breathing air. BoA would like you to believe that the two-second spray of their product, with its tiny amount of oxygen as a propellant, is somehow going to boost your brain to be able to similarly perform complex cognitive tasks in a similar fashion. If that was the case, I imagine you would suddenly get the smarts to realize you had been had by this insane plea and this attempt at marketing if you hadn't already figured it out. Okay. Okay. Look, I'm taking the piss out of this stuff because honestly, this is a product for which I really feel there's no obvious need. It's environmentally terrible because of its excessive packaging, and the marketing is just plain deceptive, and I really can't abide by all of that at once. As it happens, purely by coincidence, while we were preparing this segment, I actually received a sample of Boa in the mail, but for what reason, I have no idea. As I was getting ready to record, I figured I'd test it out and evaluate some of the claims related to convenience and see just how easy this stuff is to use and whether or not it actually tasted any good or if it left a bad taste or whatever. Well, first and foremost, I for one really wouldn't have any interest in having to carry around this canister. Now, that's just me personally. I find it much heavier than salt tablets and it takes up far more space. Worst of all, I couldn't even get the thing to discharge as the nozzle appears to be blocked by some of that 3,750 milligrams of unnecessary salt. Not much use if you can't get any of the product out, now is it? Okay, but let's just for one minute try and find something good to say about BOA. And I think to be fair, there are definitely a couple of things that can be said in favor of this product if it actually worked, unlike the sample that I received. First, I do like the novelty. Novelty. I mean, we have to be supportive of new ideas and new ways of doing things, otherwise we're never going to break new ground, and for that, I think BOA is to be commended, even if they are way overdoing the hype aspect of what the product can actually accomplish. Second, despite my continually pointing out that people don't need to take so much salt, Let's face it, no one listens to me. And the run courses of 70.3 and Ironman races are strewn with athletes suffering significant GI distress because they are convinced that they need to consume like half of their body weight of salt, lest they cramp or get overcome by the vapors or I don't know what. Whatever the reason, the result is the same. All that salt in the stomach is causing these people to have inordinate amounts of gastrointestinal distress with ensuing nausea and vomiting. Remember the movie Casino Royale? Remember when Bond gets slipped some poison in his martini and he figures it out? What does he do? He runs to the bathroom and forces himself to down a glass of water that he filled with salt. Why does he do that? Because he knows that large quantities of salt make you puke. Well, that's what's happening to all these people in these races. Well, for people who are still unconvinced that they don't need salt and are still gonna be taking it, BOA kinda offers a solution. Spray the stuff in your mouth, avoid your stomach altogether, and voila, you can get your four grams without all of the nausea. You're still gonna regret it because all that salt is still no bueno and is still gonna cause you other problems, but at least you won't be puking. There is still one remaining factor to consider with the BOA, and that's the cost. One of these little canisters, which gives you 25 doses, costs 25 bucks. That's a dollar per serving. I went over to the BASE website, the people who I personally hold responsible for this whole salt craze in the first place. They sell their electrolyte powder for $30, but that's twenty—that's $30 for 226 servings, each of which contains 290 milligrams of salt. Now again, I don't think you need any of this stuff, but for those of you who are still insistent on salting yourself before, during, and after your race, let's face it, BASE is a far more economical way of doing it than is BOA. Do you have a question about something that is relevant to triathlon and health and fitness that you'd like to hear me answer on the podcast? Well, I hope that you'll send me an email, tri-doc underscore at icloud.com, and I'll consider answering it on the show. Alternatively, you can join our private TriDoc podcast group on Facebook, where you can submit your questions there, and I'll be happy to answer them there or here on the podcast at a later date. Well, this is the point in the podcast where generally I have someone on here to interview and uh, share with you stories about triathlon. But today we're doing something a little bit different. I do have a guest, but the guest is going to be an interviewer Not an interviewee. Joe Wilson is somebody that I have had the pleasure of meeting through Triathlon, uh, which is true of so many of uh, the great people that I have met in the last couple of decades. Joe has been in Triathlon for about as long as I have. And uh, if you have heard the swim is canceled, if you have seen some nutty guy out on the side of the course uh, wearing nothing but a Speedo, then you have heard or seen Joe. Joe was recently featured in Slow Twitch as, uh, that guy, uh, the person who is very boisterous, uh, incredibly, uh, inspiring in terms of, uh, enthusiastically cheering on people in races. And he's also a very successful age grouper. Well, recently, uh, I had received a lot of questions from, uh, members of the private TriDoc podcast group on Facebook asking me, uh, Jeff, Where did some of my success come from uh, as I have gotten older? And I didn't want to sit here and just prattle on about myself. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. And so what I've done is I've asked Joe to come on here and ask some of those questions on your behalf. So Joe Wilson, I'm going to seed the microphone here. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit better than I just did, uh, and uh, then we'll just get into it. So Joe Wilson, welcome to the TriDoc podcast. The mic is yours.
0: Jeff, thank you so much for having me. I'm going to first start off and say I probably will never, ever be able to interview you as well as you interview other people. So please bear with me. I have a lot of energy. I like to have a good time and probably say a bunch of stupid stuff along the way. But hopefully we can figure out who Jeff really is. Um, So as far as me, you know, I've been doing this sport for about nine years. I love to race. I love to compete. I love to meet people. I love to get out and cheer people on. I've always been that kind of guy who like crosses the finish line and comes back out and wants to see the last person finish. That's just who I am. I love meeting everybody in the triathlon world. I mean, if you're a triathlete, you're going to be my friend. Um, so that's just kind of who I am. Um, but I met Jeff kind of on the board, uh, one of the Facebook groups. I love getting on these Facebook groups. Um, if you're listening to the Try That Podcast and you're doing a race, I highly recommend getting on um, find the race uh, Facebook group and get on there and start meeting people, talking to people, because it just makes it much more fun when you show up to the race and you already know a bunch of people. Because right now I show up to races by myself, but I've never been to a race in the last five, six years in an Ironman or local race where I didn't know somebody and had tons of friends there. So um, with all that said, let's I want to find out. You know, Jeff asked me a couple of days ago to interview him, um, kind of, you know, go into his past and talk about how he's gone from uh, being a not so great racer to being uh, on the podium at Ironman Indiana and qualifying for Kona. So, um, Jeff, I think the first thing I want to know is, um, let's talk about your background for a second, right? So. How did you get into triathlon um, originally?
1: Yeah, that, that's a story I love to tell. Uh, it, back when I lived in Montreal, And I was uh, working as a medical resident in emergency medicine. I, you know, didn't have time to really stay fit. Uh, I was uh, putting on weight, getting very much out of shape, but I was still playing hockey, a sport that I had grown up playing and adored, uh, living in Montreal, uh, surrounded by the Montreal Canadians coming up in the 70s. That was what you did. And so I played hockey my whole life, and as I was into my 30s, I continued to try and play with uh, the same people I had always played with. The problem was I was getting older, they were staying the same age, and I was getting heavier and out of shape and unable to keep up. And as I got to the end of my medical training, I was uh, very uh, much in bad way. I, I weighed 210 pounds, uh, I'm 5'8". And uh, I had what I like to call an Andy Dufresne moment. Uh, if you're familiar with the Shawshank Redemption, uh, Andy Dufresne, the protagonist, uh, says uh, at one point, he's like, You know, you have a choice. You get busy living or you get busy dying. And I felt like that's where I was. I have a family history of heart disease. And if I didn't do something about the path I was on, I was not going to be around for long. So I made a decision uh, as I was. Within the last month and a half of my fellowship in intensive care medicine, where I realized I'm going to have a lot more free time. I'm not going to be working these crazy hours anymore. Uh, I can see what my job's going to look like in a couple of months. And so I need to do something about what I l- look like and what I feel like so that at the time my impetus was really so I could play hockey. So I, uh, picked up a book called Body for Life. And it was one of these books that was all about changing your diet and just incorporating a little bit of exercise into your daily routine. And over the course of the next couple of months, I I started to see some changes. I ended up dropping some weight. Uh, I started feeling better. Uh, I started getting in shape a little bit. And uh, at a very fortuitous uh, dinner meeting uh, for work, uh, I sat next to a woman by the name of Eileen Bridges, uh, who said, Uh, that she had noticed uh, that I was getting in shape and she asked what I was doing. And I said uh, uh, that I was lifting weights and that I was doing some biking and some running. And she said, Oh, well, you know, maybe you should consider trying triathlon. And at that point, I was like many other people. Triathlon to me was that race I saw on television once a year. And I said to her, oh gosh, I have really no interest in doing that crazy thing in Hawaii. And over the course of the dinner, she explained to me that triathlon was so much more than that. She said that her husband actually worked for a company that uh, sold bikes, and that they could help me out. I could learn. At the time, I didn't even know how to swim, and that is uh, not an exaggeration. (laughs) I could not swim, and she uh, she convinced me I could learn how to swim. And over the course of this dinner, she got me super excited about this whole idea. And I went home, and my wife, who had not been at that dinner, was sitting there, and I said, "You know, I'm thinking about doing a triathlon," and she just laughed. And, and that was it. The die was cast. I said, well, before I was thinking about it, but now, now I'm going to do it. And I think she probably regrets <laughs> laughing a little bit because it, it went on like to so many other people become an obsession. I, I spent the next year learning how to swim. Uh, I did my first sprint triathlon just about a year later, hated every single second of it, uh, spent most of the run, Wondering how I could sell everything that I had purchased uh, and still save face. Uh, I remember finishing that race and sitting there at the end and just feeling absolutely horrible about this crazy short little sprint distance that had almost killed me and started ruminating on all of the things that I had done wrong. And it didn't take long before I was just overwhelmed with what I had accomplished. And As I'm sure you know, and as I'm sure many people know, it it snowballs from there. You just want to do it again and again, and it just becomes more and more addictive. And yeah, and here I am two decades later, uh, still doing it and still loving it. Two
0: decades later. Okay. So when you first got into, uh, from from that conversation and you started swimming, how long did
1: did you, I guess, train before you did that first uh, sprint triathlon? Uh, it literally was a, a year. Uh, it wasn't a year. I mean, uh, that dinner was in uh, September of 2000. And the first race I did was in June of 2001. So I, I, I hired a swim somebody to teach me how to swim probably within a week. So I spent a very long time. And, and my goal race was really to do an Olympic distance. And that Olympic distance was in September of 2001. And I remember that very clearly because it was, actually it was in August. It was uh, just a couple of weeks before 9-11. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I remember the first time I swam 1,500 meters in the pool, just being, couldn't believe I had managed that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a long process to, to manage the swim. The bike and the run obviously came much quicker, but it was really the swim that took the longest time for me to figure out. And I was learning I, you know, I picked up books. I didn't have a coach. I, I I was self-taught in terms of how to train myself, how to do these things. I remember one of the books that I picked up was a book called Triathlon 101. And uh, uh, that book taught me so much. I remember, I remember there's a chapter in that book at the beginning, you know, are you a triathlete or something like that? And it talks about how, you know, you never wear a race shirt. Before you finish the race, <laughs> and and you can only call yourself a triathlete for a certain amount of time after finishing a race, but you're an Ironman forever. I remember all of these things from that book, and fifteen or sixteen years after reading that book, the author of that book was doing a uh, a new edition, and he contacted me to contribute. Uh, because he had, uh, because during the inter in the intervening time, I had started writing for different uh, magazines like Triathlete and Inside Triathlon, and he had seen my work, and I was so honored to be contacted and contribute to a book that had been so instructive and informative for uh, for me when I started in oh. the sport. So yeah, so I mean, I I was really self taught for the first probably year and a half that I was in the sport, like so many other people you know, continuously stumbling and continuously making all the mistakes that everybody makes. Uh, but it was, it was, it was, it was great. And I mean, looking back, I was, I, you know, all of the hubris and all of the, you know, silly overconfidence that I went into with, you know, into this because I came from hockey where, you know, you were incredibly competitive and incredibly, you know, aggressive. And I, I, brought a lot of that into triathlon foolishly, not, not having a sense of where I really belonged.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Leo, so I come into every race thinking this is it. This is the, the right things go the fall the right way. I'm going to win this race. And sometimes, <laughs> yeah. um, so how long once you started racing in 2001, and, cause I'll tell you me personally, like I started about 2000, the same thing. I raced for about five years <clears throat> and then I took a big layoff and came back and I noticed a triathlon had changed, whereas in the beginning in 2001 to 2005, it was very much you stayed in your lane as far as like you didn't talk to people faster than you. You didn't talk to people slower than you. You kind of associate yourself or you train with people about the same speed as you. And now I feel like with Facebook and all other social media, everybody kind of is very, you know, has, have, you know, it's friendly with everybody. So like you can get in front of the pack, the back of the pack, everybody kind of just comes together and does races. But as far as you, like when you started in 2001 until, until now, what, how have you seen the sport change as far as from your perspective?
1: That's really interesting that you make that comment. Cause I, I don't think I really appreciated that quite as much. Uh, I mean, I, I got my butt handed to me. You know, right off the bat. I mean, I, I went into my first race with, I, I mean, not really knowing what to expect. I mean, I knew I couldn't swim, so I knew I would be at the back of the swim, but I thought I was a strong cyclist and I get out on the bike and I'm like realizing very quickly, oh no, those are strong cyclists. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Um, and, you know, over biking to try and compensate and then finding out that, oh, yeah, I can't run now. <laughs> so, yeah, I learned very quickly. But but I was amazed at how welcoming triathlon was and how everybody was so chatty in transition. And it, it may have just been because I didn't know any better and everybody, everybody else was newbies at these races. But um, I, I was always impressed no matter where I went, uh, no matter what race, what distance, at how friendly people were, and in uh, the first year, I'm trying to remember if it was the first year, or the second year. I think it was a second or third year. I was in triathlon. Uh, I went to a camp, a CTS camp out here in Colorado, and attended it. Where I was, you know, a very <laughs> not proficient triathlete, but there were some really high level people there, and uh, they were incredibly. Uh, happy to discuss things and, and, and work with you and, and give you tips and tricks. And I've always found that, I mean, there's no question the advent of social media has uh, empowered that and made that much better. But back in the, the early days of, you know, the internet and, and triathlon, I mean, the only thing you had was slow twitch. And unfortunately, slow twitch was not a good medium for that because you tended to get, you know people who were not particularly friendly or welcoming to newbies, uh but you ended up with the offshoots of that, like beginner triathlete.com, which was a, a really welcoming environment. So there was always something, uh, a place for people to ask questions. And uh, I, that, you know, I realized quickly triathlon was giving me so much I wanted to give back. And so I started quickly answering questions, uh, medical type questions. Uh, as I learned more about the sport and how to, how to, how to, I mean, I didn't really have success, you know, in terms of results. But as I learned some of the newbie things, I would start imparting that advice to other new people, and uh, then I started contributing medical, uh, you know, articles to the different magazines. And I, I quickly realized how much I wanted to give back because I was getting so much from other people. So, and I, and I continue to do that now, like you do, uh, not to the level that you do because you you are so much more engaged. And I I I, I, just, I marvel at how uh you know uh you you have a huge impact on on so many people and it's it's great and i i love that about this sport like you said those those boards i laugh at those boards because they cause so much angst and stress but at the same time they are a great resource and i do appreciate that as uh, a positive change for the sport in terms of allowing people to interact with each other and and get that kind of support yeah. I think uh, one other thing that's changed that's that's really important is coaching. Uh, coaching used to be really difficult, and and now because of the online environment, it's so much easier to have a coach who's remote from you, but interact with them, uh, you know, through vi- videos and 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 continuously online with text and everything, and 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 to make real important progress very quickly.
0: and and, and in the sport, when did you start having success as far as like? okay,
1: I'm pretty good at this, and now I can expect to to do well at, at this? You know. Yeah. You know, I, I struggled for years because I thought I was better than I was. It took me a long time to recognize, you know, I'm not that good at this. Uh, I need to be happy with what I'm able to accomplish. And I think – you know, and, and part of that, you know, what was happening was, is I would go to races and I wasn't having fun. And my wife would be, you know, why are you doing this? If you're coming home angry all the time, well, what's the point? I loved the training, but I hated the racing because I'd go to the races and I'd invariably come home angry. And she'd be like, why are you angry? And I'm like, well, because I think I should do better. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It took me a long time to recognize. Well, you know, I can't do better. Uh, you know, at first I would tell. At first, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't have the the insight. I, I would sit there and I'd say, "Well, I can't do better because genetics. Those guys, they're they're just genetically better than I am. That's why they do better." And I just have to accept that. And for a while, that kind of worked. And I would just be like, "I'm this is who I am." I'm just gonna be like this and I just can accept that. And and that actually worked for a little while. That actually made me able to race and and be okay with my results. But I'm still I'm a competitive person and I didn't love being middle of the pack and I wanted to do better. And I had friends who were successful in the sport who said to me, It's not about genetics, dude. It's about what you put in. You get out what you put in. And I had to get to a place where I recognized that. I just wasn't at a point in my life where I could put in enough to get out what I wanted. And I was putting a huge stress on my family, huge stress on my uh, my wife. Uh, and it wasn't fair to them because, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed triathlon. I was getting a lot out of it, but I was taking too much away from my family in order to do what I wanted. And it wasn't fair. And again, I'm seeing all of this in hindsight because at the time I was selfish because triathlon, let's face it, very selfish sport. Uh, and I'm, I'm fortunate that, that, you know, she didn't you know lower the boom and say, dude, you got to wake up. Right. She, she was incredibly patient uh, and she stuck by me despite my selfishness uh, and wanting to keep at this. Uh, but eventually, uh, you know, almost too late, I came to realize that I am, Trying too hard, being too much of an a-hole, being selfish about this, and I kind of finally kind of realized, okay, I've, I've got to step back from this a little bit and just realize the reason I'm not doing as well as I want is nothing to do with genetics. It has to do with just the fact that I can't put in the time that's needed. And I had a friend who said, look, I mean, at the time, the big thing for me was just try to get under five hours for a half. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to get under five hours for a half Ironman. And he said to me, look, you can do it if you just put in 12 hours of training, quality training for three months leading up to a race. And I could not find that until my kids got older. And once my kids got a little bit older and they were a little more self-sufficient, I sort of realized, hey, you know what? I kind of can do that now. And I did that, and uh it, like magic, <laughs> it happened. you know, I finally got under five hours. It was like you know i did i you know, part of it was doing the right race. I did Miami, which was you know a flat race the The, the run wasn't suited to me, it was hot and humid, but it didn't matter because it was flat, and I got under five hours, and it didn't hurt that I was training for an Ironman at the same time, so you know my kids were a little bit older, I was able to manage the training and you know, I did Ironman Arizona that year, which was 2012 and had a great day. And I figured, you know what, this is it. This is great. You know, I I had previously done a couple Ironmans before I had kids. And both of those times were in like the 13, 14 hours. And I did Ironman Arizona did 1041, went under five hours at Ironman Miami. And this was all back in 2012. And I was like, great. I've I've accomplished my goals. I think I'm good now. And then I spent three, four years just kind of doing not a whole lot, just kind of, you know, just, just piddling along. And then I had to have hip surgery, found out I had a torn labrum in my hip. And, uh, I, uh, uh, I, you know, I, when I went to get my hip done, the orthopedic surgeon was like, listen, dude, your hip is pretty bad. You know, you're, I, I don't even know if I can do this repair. I think you may be looking at a hip replacement. And I was not ready for that. I was pretty young. I didn't, I was in my early forties and I was not prepared to to face that. And I said, I kind of begged him to, to try the repair. He did. I was very anal retentive about the, uh, the, uh, rehab and spent a year coming back from that. My wife said, well, why don't you try and, and do one more Ironman? Just, just do one and see how it goes. And I said, I think you forget what Ironman training is like. And, uh, She's like, "Well, let's let's give it a try." So, I, you know, I spent a I I did a month where I just sort of simulated Ironman training, and she said, "I think we can do this if we spend, you know, just one Ironman. Just just do this." And so I did. And I went and you know, we we had a summer where I trained for an Ironman, and I did very well, and it was great. And again, I just was like, I, this was nowhere near a podium or anything. I just sort of said, "This is great. I feel good. I feel complete. Let's just kind of move on." But at the same time in the halves, I started to move up. I started to see I was getting you know, top 10 placements. Uh, This was around the time in 2015 now where I actually qualified for world championships for the first time. Went to Austria. It was great. Had a great time. Uh, Qualified again in 2016. And I was starting to to do better. And I I switched coaches uh, because I realized I was kind of stagnating with, I had had one coach for a very long time, over a decade. We'd had a great relationship. I'd progressed immensely, but I felt like I was kind of reaching a point where, hey, I've gotten better now, and I don't feel like he recognizes I'm getting better because I'm putting in more training. So I moved to a different coach who who kind of looked at me and said, you know, you've had a lot of consistency now over a few years. If you put in just a little bit more, I think you could do better. And he was saying what some of these other people had said to me, consistency, volume, just like, you know, quality, the same kind of catchwords. And, uh, you know, he said, I I think you need to think about going back to do an Ironman. And this is now back, and this is now 2017. And I was like, oh God, I, you know, I don't know if I want to do that to my family. And I, I, I don't know. And so, you know, my wife and me and the coach, we sat down together and we talked about it and talked about what it would involve. And the idea was, I told him, I said, look, I've done Ironman. I, I don't really need to do another one unless it's to qualify for Kona, which I just honestly don't think is possible. And uh, he said, uh, you know, look, let's, let's target an early season Ironman, see how it goes. If it goes good, then let's push for a fall Ironman and push for Kona qualification there. And my wife agreed, let's try it. The kids are old enough now, let's see how it goes. So signed up for Ironman Boulder in 2018. Uh, trained like crazy over the winter was really, really focused, put in more consistency and quality than I'd ever done before. Showed up in June uh, of 2018 and finished fifth and ended up getting a roll down slot to go to Kona and was like, holy crap. And so like the first person I called was Eileen Bridges, who I had previously told I'm never going to that race in Hawaii. Uh, she was delighted. Um, and, and, you know, after that things just kind of kept going. Uh, but it, but I, it was that, it was those three things. It was the consistency, the quality and the volume. And it's not astronomical amounts of volume, as long as it's consistency and quality, you don't have to put in huge volume. And I, it, it was, it was like a, a like this ray of light, <laughs> you know, because uh, I, I, I never believed, I always kept pushing things out like, Oh no, I don't have the same genetics. I don't have the body build. I don't have the speed. I don't you know. there was all these reasons I couldn't do these things. Uh, and, and it was just sitting there right in front of me in black and white. No, you just have to do these three things. But there was still one more kind of barrier and I had never been at the top of the podium and I kept, I still in my mind was like, yeah, there's always that one guy. And I never believed I was that one guy until this year. Nice. What, um, how'd you do in Kona in 2019 or 2018? Oh, so 2018, I went to Kona and I was there, Honestly, it was. I went there with zero expectations. I told everybody, including myself, I'm going there to enjoy the day because I don't know if I'll ever get back here again. I mean, I, this is, as far as I'm concerned, this is a one and done. I have watched this on TV a million times. I want to enjoy every second of this day. And except for the half of the swim after the boat, <laughs> I did. <laughs> the return leg of the swim, I hated every stroke. It was awful. But those men are awful. My God, they try to kill you. It's like, guys, you're not going to win today. Like this is if you're swimming where I am, you're not going to win. So please don't drown me as we're trying to, you know, like people grabbing you and pushing you under and it was awful. Um, and this was back in the days of the mass start. So it was, it was not fun. That was the last mass start. Uh, so I did not enjoy that part of swim, but everything else, I absolutely loved it was, I loved every second of the bike ride. I loved, I mean, the run was hard, but honestly, I just enjoyed, I mean, the last couple of miles, I, you could not get the smile off my face. No matter how much pain I was in, I was just, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing, amazing. I was saying, and I, I I did great. I mean, I, I had one of my faster times, I mean, 1048. So, you know, I was, I that was very, very pleased. I, it's the same way
0: I went in 2017 when I quali- the whole goal was to qualify for Ch- the Chattanooga Half uh, World Championships. And I was dying, but I had a big smile on my face the last loop of the course. I was like, I don't want this to end. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, so moving forward, I met you in, in, in Indiana last year. Um, why did you pick that race to do? For
1: twenty, yeah. So I had wanted to go back to Penticton. Uh, I had signed up for Penticton in twenty twenty, and of course, pandemic knocked that off the the radar or knocked that off the calendar. And then uh, I was in for Penticton for twenty twenty one, and they were really hemming and hawing as to whether or not it was going to happen. And uh, I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and uh, I work with Lance Watson, who's very tied in to the Canadian Ironman uh, folks and knows the people, the organizers for Whistler, and he was telling me as June and July were kind of coming, June was coming to an end, July was starting, and he told me he thought, he was like, yeah, he was hearing very sketchy things about about Penticton. He really didn't think it was going to happen. And he suggested I look for an alternative. So, uh, they had announced Indiana. Indiana was still open. I talked to my coach about it. The timing worked for me. Um, the course looked, uh, favorable. (laughs) I grossly underestimated the run. Um, and, uh, I said uh, all right I'll shift my focus I've been training I don't want to stop training and put it off for another year so I decided to go for Indiana so I put in for Indiana and um yeah that course was well you know it was a I'm a very strong cyclist so uh I would have preferred I think a little more challenging bike course because I think it would have given me a little more room for error on that run but that was a really uh, I had no idea that, I mean, that run, uh, that run is deceptively difficult. It does not look that hard on the the uh, profile uh, and you don't realize how hard it is, but it's just relentless up and down. So the second loop I found very challenging, but fortunately I endured. And uh, to me it was, um, you know, going, getting a second Kona slot to me was really important because, you know, my first Kona slot was a roll down. And so in the back of my mind, I'd always felt like a little bit of an imposter, I, you know. I didn't deserve that slot. It was, uh, it was luck. And so, uh, this one w- was an automatic qualification. And so I, uh, because I was third and I, you know, there was, I think four slots and four or five slots in my age group. So, uh, I definitely, uh, this one to me was deserved and earned and, uh, not like the other one wasn't, but <laughs> in my mind. Uh, so yeah, I'm really, really excited to go back this year. And, uh, this time I'm going to, race it so one thing you have to
0: remember jeff and this is way before we ever got into the sport is they used to have kona slots out for olympic distances you definitely earned that 2018 slot okay (laughs) 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 it's a lot harder now than it ever had yeah so hey so i kind of want to switch gears and let's do some rapid questions i'm going to give you no more than say 30 seconds to kind of think about this um so it's not like a drawn out question. It's cool. It's going to be like, I want to get to your, you know, what you say and then we can move on to the next topic. Okay. So. Yep. First. Okay. When did you buy your first disc?
1: Yeah. Well, I like I Like everybody. I would accumulate stuff. So I think I brought my first disc probably for my first Ironman, which would have been 2004. Okay. When did you first start getting coached? When I signed up for my first Ironman, also 2004. And who was your first coach? Tim Crowley, who I was with for over a decade and uh, was really good for me at that time, for, throughout those years. What was your first bicycle? I had a Opus. That was the name of uh, Eileen Bridges' husband's uh, bike uh, brand. Uh, Opus, I can't remember the model, but uh, they, were like a, they were imported from Taiwan. It was an aluminum frame road bike that I clipped on some arrow bars. Nice. What are you currently riding on right now? I have a Diamond Mogul of one of many Oops, bikes.
0: <laughs> How many bikes do you
1: currently own? Oh, my God, I'm embarrassed. A uh, A lot. Seven or eight. Gravel? I have a gravel bike, an Obed boundary. Road bike? I have three road bikes. I have a specialized tarmac disc. Uh, we have a mountain house up in Breckenridge where I have my um, BMC Pro machine that sits up there. And then I have a travel bike, which is a uh, seven Aero Pro. Uh, uh aero pro yeah which is like a titanium carbon fiber uh disc brake bike that has couplers in it that I could take apart and put into a suitcase whenever I travel so those are my road bikes nice um when did you start running so i started running uh when i first started uh this whole journey back in 2000 uh, back in 2000, uh, and my running was limited to like 20 minutes at a time because that's all I could manage for the first year.
0: Have you done a marathon?
1: I have done one standalone marathon, and I did not. I do not like marathons. I tell people I won't do a marathon unless I swim and bike before. Do you
0: agree or not agree that a marathon is harder than an Ironman, and that the answer is no? Why? <laughs>
1: Well, I've only done one and I did it, uh, quite a long time ago. So it's kind of hard for me to say, I I would probably, it's not fair for me to answer because I wasn't as good of a runner when I did my marathon. If I did a marathon now, I would probably still say it was harder just because you run a marathon as part of an Ironman at a very different intensity level. If I was going to run a marathon now, I would try to run it probably, I mean, based on my VO2 uh, based on the Jack Daniels formula, my marathon time should be somewhere like 320 ish. And for me to fathom running a 320 marathon is like, I can't even get my head around that. So I would imagine running a standalone marathon is probably harder.
0: All right. I agree. I've pulled out of marathons,
1: they just hurt so much. Um, what's your next race? Uh, Boulder 70.3 in uh, just under what, three weeks now?
0: What, what nutrition do you take for an Ironman?
1: Combination of things because uh, I find flavor fatigue becomes an issue. So I have Infinite, which I have a couple of different uh, uh, flavors, but I use the uh, customized version that's pretty high in calories, pretty high in salt. And I supplement that or I interchange that with the Scratch Superfuel. Uh, so each bottle has, uh, my Infinite has about 300 calories, and the Scratch has 400 calories. They, all, they both are, have about three to 400 milligrams of salt. And I uh, always have one or two Cliff bars that I chop up into little bite-sized pieces. And uh, I try to supplement my fluid intake with little bite-sized morsels of solid food to keep my stomach at peace over the course of the race. Do you also do that on the run? On the run, I subsist off of Morton Gels, and uh, I will take Coke or Red Bull. Uh, next question is, who is your current coach? Steve Johnson of Dark Horse Try.
0: I know Steve Johnson. I follow him on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, he's uh He's, he's very knowledgeable he guy. Very knowledgeable guy. Um, what's your favorite workout
1: session? Oh, that's a good question. Uh <sighs> I don't have a favorite swim workout because although I've become better at swimming, uh, I still find swimming a challenge, but I do embrace my swim workouts, but I don't have a favorite one. I'd say my favorite bike workout is anything where I'm climbing a mountain, but uh, I spend so much time on the trainer that I guess my favorite trainer workouts are the really, the really hard ones. So he'll often give me these like, you know, six times eight minutes best effort where I have to like be able to be sure that I'm pushing a really hard effort for 8 minutes but not too hard that I can't sustain that same effort for the last interval. So I really like the I really like the hard ones. So the, the ones that really make me to go deep and sustain that effort over time. And then my running workouts, I have learned uh, to really love the fast intervals and so he has me what's given me great success this year is running like mile intervals. So like I often do eight up to 10, one mile intervals at uh, faster than like significantly faster than race pace.
0: So speaking of the run, what, what are you running? What shoes do you, uh,
1: so I train in Hoka, uh, Clifton's, I race in the Nike air zoomers. That's exactly the same thing for me. Um, as far as like a 55 year old
0: athlete, how do you recover?
1: I, you know, I, 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 my coach doesn't like give off days and I've sort of subscribed to that theory as well, because I feel like off days, are a great way to get store, sore and stiff especially as I've gotten older and so I as a coach myself I do this with my athletes I don't give them an off day I give them an easy day so I'll give them an easy spin uh, if I give them a hard bike workout the next day I'll give them a swim so that they're not using their legs quite as much uh, and so that's really to me recovery has been active recovery uh, you know yesterday's a great example I, I had a really hard weekend where I did a very hard bike ride and a very hard run and so yesterday I had a hour 15 minute very easy spin and a 30 minute, very easy run. And today I feel great. So, uh, for me, recovery has been about, uh, doing easy workouts, getting active recovery, making sure I'm, you know, eating right. Uh, I wish I could say (laughs) sleep was part of it. Uh, alas, uh, I, I just don't get enough sleep partly because of my age, partly because of what I do. Uh, and I've just not ever been a really great sleeper and I wish that was different.
0: So let's talk real quick. Volume. What would you say your average weekly volume is um, leading up to? Uh,
1: leading up to Kona, it's probably going to be somewhere in the range of 14 to 16 hours. Uh, but you know, a- average like for this year so far has probably been closer to 12 to 14. Um, so when I'm training for half Ironmans, it's 12 to 14, and then as I ramp it up for an Ironman, it gets to 14 to 16, probably average. Big weeks will be 20, but uh, that's pretty rare. Um, and I, you know, for me, it's just been about maintaining high quality hours. So I'm able to do a little bit less volume by doing really high quality. And a big part of that is that probably two thirds of my bike workouts are on the trainer. Uh, partly because it just, that's the way I can maximize my time efficiency. And then partly because, uh, the, the, you know, the, I'm, I'm terrified of getting killed. <laughs> so you know, as an ER physician, I see, you know, constantly, uh, trauma. And so I'm, I'm chastened by that. And I know that nobody's, uh, as far as I know, nobody's gotten hit by car on the trainer. Exactly. I've been hit twice.
0: Um, speaking of time efficiency, what is your tip for
1: balancing family work and triathlon? So we're actually going to do a segment on that very subject. I'm going to have another guest interviewer to talk to me about that because that's been another question. But I will answer very quickly here and say, involve your family. They have to be part of your team. Uh, Do not do anything that they don't agree with. Like, for example, one of the things that I had considered this year was signing up for Ironman Cozumel after Kona, leverage the Kona Fitness, go to Cozumel, try to win that and get back to Kona next year. We talked about it as a family. They were not up for that so i'm not doing it um and uh you know your family's got to be part of your workout decisions and then you know, I I don't sign up for races unless they agree with it, and I, I, and I the training schedule has got to be around them. So I make sure that you know my job is such that I do shift work. I I I'm able, I have a lot of flexibility with my work, although my hours can be overnights. It means I have to train fatigued, but the thing is, is I can work my training around my job, so I don't have to do a lot of big long workouts on the weekends. So I do have that luxury. I can do my workouts during the week. Uh, around my shifts or around my other responsibilities, which leaves me time to do the things with family when uh i 'm needed now i 'm not perfect <laughs> they, they they will say uh but they support what I do uh because they know it 's important to me and and that i 'm honestly a better dad when i 'm training uh so I, I you know I think the biggest the biggest thing I can say is make sure that everybody understands that it's important to you that that you um will be better for them if you can get things in but be realistic and don't be selfish that's very good that's very good i've I've learned some
0: hard lessons um in this sport uh, because like you said it's a very selfish sport and you can go down the wrong path and those signs to say if you're not divorced you didn't train hard enough um i've seen that to be very true so um, yeah anyway jeff last question for you and um my question is: Will there be a second round of us doing this interview, and why? And why will it not be in in your Breckenridge? Uh
1: house. (laughs) (laughs) You are always welcome at the Breckenridge house, sir. Uh, There will be a second round, but the tables will be turned because uh, you will be back as a guest. And I look very much forward to learning about you uh, the next time around. Um, But this will uh, give me the opportunity now to say thank you so much for doing this, Joe. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm really glad that you were here to ask these questions. They were excellent. And uh, I hope that my listeners got something good out of it. And, uh, we'll have a better understanding of how it is that I have managed to go from, you know, uh, just a regular average triathlete to someone who's now able to find success later in my life. And, uh, I think that, uh, if, if you haven't gotten those answers, I hope that you'll send me an email, uh, you know how to reach me or, or chime in on the Facebook group and, uh, let me know because I'd be happy to, 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 to answer that. Uh, in a future episode, because like I said, I will uh, be doing another interview uh, talking about how I balance my training and my work and uh, family uh, to be able to be successful. So that's gonna be coming up later. But for now, Joe, thank you again for being here. I really appreciate it. I look forward to having you back as a guest on an upcoming episode.
0: Thank you so much. Jeff. I have the honor. I And
1: that's it for another episode. The Tri-Doc Podcast is produced and edited by me, Jeff Sankoff, along with my interns.
0: I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? No relation. I'm, uh...
1: I'm Jeff Sankoff, uh, the the Tri-Doc. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. Those interns are Ian Johnson and Ben Johnson. You can find the show notes for everything discussed on the show today, as well as archives of previous episodes at tridocpodcast.com. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode, or do you have a question that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? Send me an email at tri-doc at icloud.com, or join the private TriDoc Podcast Facebook group on Facebook, and you can submit your questions there. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit TriDocCoaching.com or LifesportCoaching.com, where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the Try Dark Podcast Facebook page, Try Dark Coaching on Instagram, and the Try Dark Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. And of course, there's always the option of becoming a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash podcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another medical question for me to answer and another interview with someone in the world of multisport. Until then, remember 1121, train hard, train healthy.